you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Season with Peter Schrager. I'm Peter Schrager. I host Good Morning Football on the NFL Network every single morning, Monday to Friday from 7 to 10 a.m. And then I do the Fox NFL kickoff out in Los Angeles on the weekends, and it is now week 15. And I feel like we're figuring some things out with some teams, but there is still a lot to be figured out. And as we do this podcast, it's a weekly one, and it's week after week, and we're trying to tell the story of the season I still don't have a lot of answers. And my producer here, Aaron Juan Kaufman. Aaron, do you feel like this thing is just completely wide open like I do? Yeah, I feel like even this weekend, there were some games that I was like, oh, yeah, the Dolphins are going to win. That's going to be the the like the fight is going to be there with Buffalo and Miami. And no, there's so many things that are still open. Uh, we were just talking about a couple teams that like there's there's a lot of games left for us. I'm looking at the schedule for week 15, and we'll get into the Saturday triple header. I will be on the sidelines as the sideline reporter for Dolphins at Bills. I am wildly, wildly unprepared for what to wear on that sideline. I have not thought that through, and I will have to pack something. Um, I also am wildly, wildly confident that I will be eating my weight in buffalo wings when I arrive on Friday, and thus will be waddling around the field in six layers of clothing, trying to concentrate on football while I'm wondering where the, the, the nearest toilet is. I'll also um, say this. That's just one of the games. Like, Giants Commanders, two teams that are 7-5-1 and one on Sunday night. Awesome game. Lions at Jets. Awesome game. Titans at Chargers. Awesome game. Suddenly, Patriots at Raiders. Very interesting game. And if you want to talk about two teams going in the wrong directions, like, all right, we've got the Vikings who just lost again. And you're like, all right, like, what's up with those guys? And then I go over to the other teams in the NFC and it's like, all right, well, the Cowboys, they, they might have the wins, but they almost lost to the Texans. And now they play the Jaguars in Jacksonville. Like really cool slate, a lot of games. Um, and I'm excited for it. I, I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. Patrick Mahomes pulled one out of his ass again. And I, I love that pass. It was one of the coolest passes we will see. And, and uh, Baker Mayfield did something that we've never seen in NFL history showing up. 36 hours before a game and winning an NFL game as a starting quarterback and doing it uh, without any false starts or any delay of games. That's just the intro. Let's get to the four downs, Aaron. All right, here we go. First down, you were there on the sideline this weekend for the Eagles. You got to see them up close and personal. Are they as good in person as they look on TV? All right, so the Eagles have something that I, I don't know if it's been coined before, but they're like, get off the bus scary. What do I mean by that? I watched this team get off the bus on Sunday. I was there at 9 a.m. I was interviewing Sirianni for the Fox pregame show right outside their locker room. 
And they come off the bus, and it's six foot eight, three hundred and fifty pound Jordan Maialata, and he's followed by. Uh, oh, I don't know, and Dominican Sue, and then Fletcher Cox, and then Lane Johnson, and then Javon Hargrave, and then Brandon Graham. And they are just the biggest, most physical looking team coming off the bus. And then they've got these guys like AJ Brown, who's a who's an all-pro talent. And you've got Devontae Smith, who's not get off the bus scary, but then you get him in that uniform and he's downright frightening. And of course, you've got the quarterback in Jalen Hurts, who was wearing like a magenta blazer and just looks to look and comes in, does not smile. And then they go out there and it's, you know, focus on the game. And, you know, this could be a trap game. You've got two games ahead of you here with the Bears and then the Cowboys that are big games in the NFC. And they just kick the snot out of the Giants in the Giants building. And it was like from go. They had two sacks on the first three plays of the game. They ran all over the Giants. Miles Sanders had 144 yards. And then, you know, the passing game was going too. The defense electric. That's what scares me about this Eagles team. Last week, they played Derrick Henry in the mighty, mighty Derrick Henry, you know, running game. He runs alert 30 yards. This week, it's Saquon Barkley. He's going to play. I don't think Saquon did anything in this game. Instead, it's just blowouts. They're rolling. That team's good. And I think they're as deep as any team in the league if you go through all the different levels. And I also think uh, they're as mentally tough as any team. Like They are so focused, so dialed in. They didn't treat that like it was some surprise or some Super Bowl win. They were like, oh yeah, the Giants. We'll beat the Giants and we'll beat whoever's in front of us next. Really disciplined team. Really good team. Really well coached. Uh, get off the bus scary. That's the Philadelphia Eagles. Speaking of getting off the bus, uh, you know, it's a few days removed and we know you have uh, some connections in Los Angeles. What do you think about Baker Mayfield? Let me empty the bag a little bit on just how crazy this was. So he gets there 36 hours at a time. First of all, the story is true. He, he didn't have any knowledge of it, but he booked a flight to LA just in case that they they picked him up off the waiver wire. He thought logically it would make sense. He didn't have any contact with the Rams. He can't you know, legally. And they do put the waiver wire claim in on him. They get him. And the thought was, all right, maybe he'll play a few snaps. Then like before the game, I think McVay was really tempted just to start him because they had a conversation like, we'll go to it. Instead, they start Wolford. It's one drive and then they put in Baker. Now here's the cool part. So Baker Mayfield comes from you know, Carolina, but before that, Cleveland, where Bill Callahan was the offensive line coach. And some of those same concepts are what they do in uh, in L.A. As Kevin Carberry, who's the offensive line coach for the Rams, was, was under Callahan in Washington. All right, that seems very, like, you know, tangent or whatever. But he knew the concepts, but he doesn't know the language. So the offensive coaches... Uh, put together a wristband for Baker Mayfield. And it was a detailed, like, 16 plays on his wristband with the exact verbiage of what they call it in L.A. And the hope was they would call it in to Baker, he would look at his wristband, and he'd be able to relay it to the to the huddle, and then they'll go play. The game starts, and Sean McVay has access in Baker Mayfield's ear from the 45-second the mark on the play clock to the 15-second mark. So for 30 seconds, he can speak to him in his ear. He can get in his ear and tell him everything. They didn't use the wristband once. McVeigh would tell him what he wanted. So he could say, like, I, we're going to go fly pattern here, or we're going to go uh, four verts, whatever. And then after telling him what the play call is, McVeigh would tell Baker what they call it in the offense. So he's like, four verts, which just means four guys going deep. Okay, we call that this. Then he goes back in the huddle so the offensive lineman could hear it. And he's like, all right, 
we're going to run this, which is what you guys call this play, right? Like, that's what you call it. Okay. So we're going to run that. Um, and that's what you, and they all are nodding and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we call it. They get to the center, they get to the snap, zero delay of games, zero false starts and a 14 point comeback to do what they did. 98 yards, no timeouts without knowing the name of any of the plays on the offense is some of the most absurd stuff you'll ever hear. Now, you could say a million things about the Raiders' defense, how they had dumb penalties, and you know what is Jerry Tillery slapping the ball out of Baker's hands for? Why are they doing pass interference? And wow, they, the Raiders gave him the game. I don't care who that was against. What Baker Mayfield did last Thursday night was 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 in the face of all convention, like all convention about what we've learned about football, how. It's the most, uh, you know, difficult thing to understand. And quarterback is, it, it takes years and years to find. Baker Mayfield walked off a bus, had one walk through practice, uh, 20 plays uh, the day before, and then was able to run an offense and did it without any, you know, personal miscues, without any penalties, and they won the game. It, I don't know if they win another game all season. I don't care. That was one of the coolest things we'll see all season long. All right, Peter, third down. Like you said, you're heading to Buffalo for this Saturday. Uh, I think it's supposed to be six inches of snow. Are you ready? Yeah, it's been everything from, I think they said one inch, and then they said six inches. Now they're saying it's like four inches, and then they're saying it's going to be 10 to 20 degrees, and the word was lake effect. I don't know what that means. Aaron, are you from Buffalo? I know you're a Bills fan. Like, what's your Buffalo ties? So I'm not from Buffalo. My family is, my dad's side of the family is from Buffalo. My dad grew up there, um, but I used to go there. You know, we would like do Christmas at home and then drive up to Buffalo from Connecticut. Okay. Um, so I, I, I am familiar with uh, snow and cold weather, but I don't have a ton of uh, Saturdays in December Buffalo experience. But yeah, um, yeah I, just pack a hat, a scarf, some gloves, some you know, long underwear. I think you'll be okay. Okay. I'm going to do it. I've done cold weather games before. I, I, I worked a Seahawks at Vikings playoff game when the Vikings had those couple years where they were playing outside at the, the University of Minnesota stadium. And that was the famous Blair Walsh game. That one was the coldest game I've ever been to. I was outside for that one. I did a Packers 49ers playoff game where I was roaming the sidelines and it was a Saturday night in Green Bay or Sunday night in Green Bay. And uh, Kaepernick came out sleeveless and I was like, all right, if he's playing sleeveless, why am I crying with my eight layers and my giant jacket from Cabela's? Uh, I'll be okay. I, I kidded, I kid around earlier about the eating situation. I, I have this, I don't know if it's a, this is my therapy couch. I don't know what it is, but like, I have this like feeling that I need to go nuts with the wings and like, it's my obligation. It's my pilgrimage. Like I've got to go. And if, if I'm getting, I want to try Buffalo wings that are great, but I have this like feeling I'm going to, I'm going to overdo it. Um, do you have a wings place? Do you have any knowledge of that stuff? Or is this one of those we got to kind of crowdsource? So I actually, you know, I haven't been to Buffalo in probably like 10 years, but I do have a good list of some of the top places that, you know, are kind of like, if you're going there and you want some wings, I have a good uh, variety for you. Okay. Okay. Do you have it? Do you have it handy? Yeah. Yeah. All All right. right. So lay it on me because I'll pick one right now based on this list. Cool. Uh, One of them is Lenovo. Yep. Another is Bar Bill. And then two of like kind of the the ones that are always pitted against each other, I think, are Anchor Bar and Duff's. Yeah. Now, one of the great things is you can go to pretty much any of these wing spots. You don't have to just get wings. You can also order a pizza. You can also, you know, you can get a whole bunch of stuff. So it doesn't have to just be wings at each thing. So I don't know how many days you're there. I don't know if you can carve out enough time for lunch a couple it's days. gonna be one meal I, i'm one gonna meal. fly okay. in friday i'm do good morning football i'm gonna fly in friday 
And we've got meetings that, oh, there's actual football game going on. I probably have to worry about that at some point. Um, but I do want to get to one of these. Now, I've heard about this Lenovo. Uh, it, is it Lenovo or Lenova? Nova. Nova. Lenovo is like a laptop, right? Like that yeah, was yeah, like in the yeah. Dell computer days. I've got a Lenovo. Um, sorry if they're a big sponsor to iHeartRadio, guys. Yeah. I apologize. Maybe we can get some free stuff. Um then I heard about this bar bill. That's where Kyle Brandt went last year when he went. And Kyle's kind of the resident bills guy. I feel like I'd be kind yep. of going in on his territory if I went to bar bill. He also came back and he was like, I had the honey, ginger, salmon, pineapple, fruit, like fruit tasting one. I'm like, what is that? I got, give me Buffalo wings. I don't do all that stuff. So I think I'm going to do Lenovo because I think there's an anchor bar in the airport. There's a, if there's a restaurant in the airport, that's a no. And then I think, uh, Duff's I've been hearing about since my friends went to like SUNY Buffalo. My friend Scott Berman, uh, my summer camp buddy, went to went to SUNY Buffalo and he was big on Duff's and Duff's and Duff's and always talking Duff's. And I feel like I want to try something different. So I'm making my choice right now. Lenova. Lenova awesome. is the choice. I'm going to alert them. Um, I hope they listen to the podcast and then I'll give my full review next week. Perfect. I'm excited. All right. Fourth down, we like to shout someone out. And I want to give a shout out. Uh, let me get on my soapbox here. I'm going to get emotional. Um, I really, really like and respect Jared Goff. And I think what he's done over the last year and a half is pretty cool stuff. In a world of social media and online bullying and everybody having an opinion and everyone being a Twitter keyboard tough guy, Jared Goff was a punchline. Jared Goff was traded along with two first-round picks and a third-round pick to the Detroit Lions in exchange for Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford goes on and wins a Super Bowl with the Rams, and Goff is on one of the worst teams in football, and they start off 1-6, and six, and it's like, we're going to be moving on in Detroit. They're going to get the first pick in the draft. They're going to fire everybody. They're going to get a new quarterback, and Jared Goff's going to be some backup for the rest of his career. Instead... Jared Goff is having not only a Pro Bowl season, but he's one of the top, I'd say, I would say he's the number two quarterback in the entire NFC this season. I would say it's Jalen Hurts and it's Jared Goff. And he's eighth in the league in passing yards. He's fifth in passing touchdowns. He's all over all the PFF advanced stuff. And they're winning games. And the Lions are like this awesome story. And I, you know, they say that comparison is the thief of joy. That's a statement I really think is cool because you start looking at your career and you look at what other people are doing and you start looking at your friends from college and what they're doing. If you're Jared Goff, if you wanted to compare situations, you were the number one overall pick for the Los Angeles Rams. You won multiple playoff games. You beat Drew Brees in an NFC championship game in his building. You went to the Super Bowl. You were given an extension by the Rams. You you were everything living in Southern California, and you were traded to w what was a graveyard for NFL uh, players, the Detroit Lions, who haven't won since 1957. And you were forgotten, and if not forgotten, you were dismissed. And now, like, how what a cool story. Like, what a cool story. And I'll tell you the best part about what I love about golf. He hasn't said a peep. He didn't bitch. He didn't moan. He didn't complain. When everyone was saying that, oh, McVay, you know, couldn't get over the top with golf. He didn't have some pithy response about McVay's game plan in the Super Bowl that day. Nothing, nothing but class all the way through. And I know the guys in LA really well, as we mentioned already. And I know they really like Jared Goff and I think they're really happy for him. Um, that's a rare trade that might've worked out for both sides because I don't think the Rams in a million years would give up anything for what they got in last year's Super Bowl run. It's once in a lifetime stuff and Stafford led them there. But the Lions, 
I don't think they were winning a Super Bowl last year with Matthew Stafford. I think they're pretty happy with Jared Goff, and they'll have two first-round picks and a third-round pick to go with it. Uh, Jared Goff, we see you, and not only do I respect your, your play on the field, I love the way you've handled the last 18 months and the way you've been able to block things out and just focus on yourself, your team, and now you're getting all the success for it. Very cool story. Jared Goff, that, that's the kind of stuff I love in the NFL. All right, Aaron, fourth down. You get a shout-out, too. Who are you giving it to? Uh, I'm going to do another number one drafted quarterback. I'm going to do Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, the, talk about it. The Jags, you know, there's there's like Josh Allen had Stephon Diggs come in that really helped his progression. Uh, Jalen Hurts had A.J. Brown come in. And Lawrence really hasn't had the big marquee receiver. I mean, they, they signed Christian Kirk this offseason to a big contract that regardless of whether or not you think the money was the right amount, um, Lawrence doesn't have like – the guy. There's no Randy Moss lining right, up for the Jacksonville right. Jaguars, but he's got a bunch of different guys. He's got Kirk. He's got Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, Marvin Jones. This is not like murder's row of receivers, but they're they're playing really well for him. He's shown so much growth in just the last month even. Um, and they may not win the AFC South, but they're nipping at the Titans' heels. And this may not be their year, but I think it's it's clear going forward the next few seasons – the Jaguars are on the right path for the, like them taking over the AFC. Well, South. he got a quarterback coach in Doug Peterson. Like that was Urban Meyer was a disaster last year as a head coach. I say that objectively. It didn't work. He gets fired midway through the season, and it's like, all right, let's start from scratch again. I would almost give last year a mulligan. And I would say this: Titans have lost three straight. They look rudderless. The last two weeks have been have been you know crazy with the with the firing of a general manager, with the loss to the Eagles, but then the loss here. Uh, you know, at home to the Jaguars, they're seven and six, and the Jaguars are five and eight. There's four weeks left. There is a chance that the Jaguars can hurdle the Titans, but the Jags are going to have to beat the Cowboys this weekend. I mean, I, in recent memory, I don't have any. I, I memorize all these games. I know I've got this crazy bank of like who called the games. I'm trying to go through it. This is the, the first time I think in probably five, 10 years that Fox is setting their A crew, which is Burkhart, Olsen, Aaron Andrews to Jacksonville. They're calling Jaguars Cowboys. That's obviously because the Cowboys bring this national audience and it's an early window and whatever, whatever you want to say, but I, Jaguars are deserving of it. I, don't, I didn't roll my eyes or say, what? When I saw that the Jaguars were getting the Fox A game treatment. That's pretty cool. And Aaron, I think it's spot on. I think Trevor Lawrence is leading the way. That's great stuff, Aaron. Um, this week on The Season with Peter Schrager, we're going to have an awesome guest. And he's he's one of my favorite guys in the league. He might not be a household name yet. He's the running backs coach at the Philadelphia Eagles. He's also the assistant head coach to Nick Sirianni. He's got a really cool path. His name is Jamal Singleton. Jamal played at Air Force, was one of the great players in Air Force history. He went and coached in college. Then he bounced around the NFL a little bit. Two years ago, he joined the Eagles coaching staff. They're the number one team in the NFL right now. They've got a great running back in Miles Sanders. And I think you're really going to get to know and like Jamal Singleton. Let's bring him on the podcast right after this. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. 
Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Joining us as our guest this week on The Season with Peter Schrager is the running backs coach and the assistant head coach in Philadelphia, the number one team in the NFC. He's an awesome dude. He's been around the league. He's in the college game, and he's got a great story to tell. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome in Jamal Singleton. Jamal, how you doing? <laughs> doing great, man. Thanks for having me. That intro is pretty cool. Make me sound better than I really am. Not bad, right? I, I think Not your story is really cool, but this team right now is the is the main story for everybody. The Eagles run game has been among the best in the league for years. In the last two seasons, you've been running that running backs room. But right now, Miles Sanders is having his first 1,000-yard season. He had 144 and a tug uh, the other day against the Giants. What are you seeing from Miles Sanders on a day-to-day basis that has him stepping up one extra notch what was already a great NFL career? You know, it's it's awesome. He came back this season on a mission. There was no ifs, ands, buts about it. I think the way he worked in the offseason, and I think some of that just takes the maturity of growing up in this league, but he came back, fired up. You can see there's a little bit of nasty physicalness to his play right now that I think has helped him gain some of those extra yards and put himself in position to, to get some of the accolades he's getting now. But you ask him, he's not done yet, right? We've got a lot left in the tank, and we want to make sure we keep pushing forward. You know, I was talking to Coach Sirianni before the game for Fox. We did an interview. And I said, like, it's cold, it's winter, and this Eagles team, it kind of feels like this is what you guys were built for. Is there something in the culture about these type of games in December, cold weather, and hopefully January and February as well? No doubt. I mean, I think you just look at the heart of this city. I mean, there's a rugged toughness about being here. And I think just our players are, have kind of adapted to that just with the time here. We kind of represent Philadelphia. And I think that's what we have to be this time of year and really throughout the years, that tough, kind of nasty, kind of get after people. And it, it's really our veteran leadership that we have. You see those guys, man. You see Fletcher Cox. You see Kelsey. I mean, those are those are tough guys that, that you want to go to war with. And it, it's great that this is the time of year that, hey, it's time to go to war you know your quarterback is 24 years old and this guy uh we knew about the college accolades but he goes in the second round then he finally gets the gig he does take you to the playoffs last year but there were even questions this offseason i feel like watching objectively jalen hurts has made a giant leap you tell me did you see this coming did you did your coaching staff know that this would be jalen hurts not only just great leader great running quarterback good passer but potential mvp of the league I think if you know Jalen at all, and I've had an interesting perspective of it because when I was in college, in the college game, I got to see him in camps. And then actually was when we were at the Senior Bowl, he was on our team. So he was a Senior Bowl quarterback at that point. So I had some interaction there. And there's just some things that I took away personally from that. I watched how he interacted with fans. I watched how he worked. I watched how he prepared. And then when I got here to the Eagles, same guy. I mean, just working and preparing. And I think he's just, he's going to will himself to do great things. And I think that's what's been great about him and this year. And he's only going to get better. He continues to get better. But, I mean, come on now. Jalen Hurts is balling this year. And it's awesome to see it and just to see the support and cast around him, all the guys and the pieces and, and just the team camaraderie that we have. He's a big part of that because of how he works day in and day out. Like, what's he like? Because we see it on TV and there's a great shot on the Fox broadcast of A.J. Brown cackling, <laughs> laughing, and Quez Watkins, oh, yeah. and Devontae Smith. And there's Jalen Hurts, the quarterback, amidst those guys, 
laser focused. No smiles, <laughs> no goofing. This is in a blowout, twenty-one nothing score, and Jalen and Jalen's just focused. Is that him every no, day? No, I, yeah, that is, and it's funny because I saw that and I, I had to laugh myself. But he is. He's locked in. He's got that laser focus. He's got plenty of things that are motivating him. Maybe the doubters are part of that. And just seeing him, he's about his business. You go back, and not to call out a stadium, you know, stadium fell down and fans kind of, and the man yeah. was just standing there calm, cool, and collective. And I think that's what allows him to continue to grow, to continue to be the leader that he is. It's awesome. It's awesome to have a young man like that who's doing all the things that he's doing, is having the success he's having, and ultimately the team's winning the way we are now. All right, so you're the running backs coach. We also have this mm-hmm. this title. Is it associate head coach or assistant head coach? What's the <laughs> yeah. title? Just assistant head coach. Right all there. right, so <laughs> what is that? What are those duties? What does that mean? Because obviously you've got your own position group and those guys live and die and swear by your words and your coaching. But then you got this assistant head coaching thing. Just looking at an org chart, if someone's coming out of college or wants to be a coach, what does the assistant head coach in the NFL do? Uh, if I'm being honest, whatever Nick tells me to do, that's yep. exactly what my job is. So it start, it does. It's like you said, it starts with the room. It will always start with the running back room. Those are my, those guys are my first priority for helping to prepare them for game day and all that. And then there's just anything that Nick will need from me. You know, I have a different background on things and he bounces ideas off me every now and then. And there's certain things that we talk about, but it, it's, it starts with the running back room. And then again, whatever Nick needs me to do, I'm ready and willing. What is he like? Take us through a day with Nick Sirianni because he might be on his way to be an NFL coach of the year. And I still feel like fans at home know him for wearing a Philly sweatshirt and maybe a uh, Embiid hat. But like, what's he like as a coach? What's he like in those meetings? And what's he like on those field in the practices? You know, I tell you what, this is in being a military man and coming from some different organizations, you look at kind of what what's what is the team built on? What are their core values? And you really saw Nick came in with his his core values of what he wanted. He wanted the team to connect, he wanted them to compete, he wanted to be accountable, he wanted to have good football IQ, right? And he wanted to be great in fundamentals. And those are those are catchphrases in some places, right? But he came in and those are the epitome of what we do every single day. It's like, hey, we need to connect. We need to get to know each other. We need to compete. We got hoops up all over this building. I brought my daughter to the facility. Basketball hoops everywhere. So I brought my daughter in, and she's nine years old. She's asking, why all the hoops? Daddy, I said, because we compete. doesn't matter what we're doing. We compete. And that's just the mindset that he's put in, and it's it's amazing. A bunch of of my coaching friends in the the profession have have reached out, and the one thing that they've said is like, man – it looks like you guys are having so much fun. Yes. And of course, winning is fun. Don't get me wrong, no doubt. But we have an environment here in a culture where guys are allowed to be themselves and know how to flip the switch in time to go time to get to work. And I think Nick is really the embodiment of that. He's a great dude. He's crazy dude. We've seen him on the sidelines. He gets excited. Yeah. He's emotional. He's fired He's up. Passionate. They score that touchdown. Oh. He runs down the sideline chasing Devonta Smith the other day. Come on. I mean, if you're a player and you see your head coach getting that excited about you doing well, that's it's awesome. And it just, the whole building feeds off of it. And, and it's great. It's been, it's been a great environment here for two years. I mean, we had some low times the first year out and mm-hmm. he just stayed true, stayed true to his process and all that. So man, I got much love for Nick and we're having a great time right now. We're just trying to keep this thing going as far as we can. Take me through that basketball hoop philosophy. Cause I remember going out to Seattle <laughs> and I was at a practice and Pete had one in the meeting room. And I said, what's this all about? He goes, offense, defense, we shoot free throws, but sounds like Nick's got it to another level. Where, how do you incorporate the basketball hoops and what does that breed as far as a culture? <laughs> 
You know, it, it's interesting. You go before before every meeting, team meeting starts. There's going to be five or six guys in there, if not even more, shooting hoops, talking trash. I mean, they're they're playing games and competing against each other, and that's just a, a part of the core values that Nick's has about. Let's compete. And then, you know, us coaches get involved every now and then, and we're shooting it from the rafters as far back as we can. And it, it's just fun. And you lead into the meeting. There's some energy. There's a vibe that goes in. You know, our offensive coordinate, coordinator, Shane Steichen, does some things. He'll throw a ball back to an offensive line to start the meeting, say, hey, you yeah. got to hit this shot from there. And they're chucking it, and they're just banging <laughs> off the backboard and all that stuff. So it's a, it's a great time, and it's a great vibe. And I think it's just, hey, we're just doing those things that allow us to, hey, yeah, we got a job to do. We've got work to do. But dang it, you can be passionate and love what you do and have fun. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that's going on here. People are having fun playing here. Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of Patty Mills. I liked Andrew Gaze when he was at Seton Hall. Does Jordan Maialata, the Australian, have any sort of stroke? Can he shoot or no? Oh, the big lefty. He yeah, he comes in. He he takes some hoops. Yeah, he he shoots some hoops and and gets it done. So no, Jordan's got a little game to him, and you see how athletic he is. He can definitely shoot the hoop. I love that. Um, Let's talk about you a little bit because I think you got one of the cooler stories. You mentioned you're a military man. Uh, You went to Air Force, but your father was a military man as well. Take us through your childhood and what led you to the game of football. You know, it's it's interesting because it wasn't probably about 10 years ago, I actually lived in the U.S. more than I lived overseas. You know, my dad was in the military. My mother was British, and he met her when he was stationed in England. I was actually born in Turkey. Um, no memories of it. Was that, was it very, very, very young when we left? My first memories are, are of England. And, and really, I got family over there as well. But I traveled a lot growing up as a kid, and uh, really kind of enjoyed it. I got to see things and do things that people have never seen. I, I love now that the NFL is being so active in, in London with those games. My first ever NFL football game was at Wembley Stadium. It was an exhibition right? match way back when, when I was a kid. So for me, I've actually had the opportunity to coach over, those, over there as well. So to be able to be at my first game overseas, coaching a game overseas has been pretty cool. But yeah, that, that military path, just the people you've met, people I've met, I followed in my dad's footsteps. My brother serves too. I've got a nephew that's currently serving. And you know, the Air Force Academy really kind of built my foundation as a coach. I was fortunate. I had one of the greatest men, not just coaches, greatest men that I ever got to play for in Fisher to Barry. And he, I still mm. get texts from him after games today and it's, it's awesome. But he was one of those guys that cared more about what type of man you became than just what type of football coach you became. And, and I tried to, to get both and, and just fell in love with the game at a very early age. When you're stationed overseas, there's, you know, the military bases and you play the other military bases, you play the other kids. So I was, I was playing football at a very early age. I didn't quite get into soccer. That was the one thing I kind of stayed away from. <laughs> but uh, but it, it was great just growing up and, and started there. I was in high school my freshman year playing ball there and then came back stateside my sophomore year and, and kind of went from there. And it was just an opportunity for me at the Air Force Academy me to play football, to get a great degree, and, and really have a job afterwards. I, I didn't quite realize what that job was going to be at the time, and I have ended up being coaching. So I'm just was thankful for that opportunity, and I think it really helps me in my coaching day to day profession of having that military background and having some of those things that I use in just how I coach and how I teach. Well, it's the ultimate uh, respect from around the league when everyone knows your path and and your military background. So you said you were born in Turkey, and of mm-hmm. course lived in. In England, where else did you live? Did you have other countries? Like, what's on the passport when we go through your your, yeah. your upbringing? 
So as a kid, we also lived in Germany for two and a half years, um, mm -hmm. actually about an hour south of the Munich game. So we were yeah. in a place called Augsburg. So maybe I'll get a chance to get over there because all I remember about Germany is how amazing the food was, how amazing the candy was. And we used to have a, <laughs> a dang bakery truck that rolled through the neighborhood and we'd be chasing. People had the ice cream truck in the U.S. We were chasing donuts over there in Germany. But it was a lot of fun and, and just doing that and, and getting be able to get back there when I'm older would be pretty cool. Again, was a kid there, but spent a little bit of time in Italy. Don't have a whole lot of memories of it, but my, my brother and I were talking about it the other day. He was talking like I knew what he was talking about, and it's like, I don't remember any <laughs> sure, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was a little kid, so. But no, been able to do some awesome things. Germany was a pretty cool place with just the history of it, and got to see castles, and you know, just some different things that I think at the end of the day have allowed me just to have a slightly different perspective on things. Uh, you get to the the college game as a coach. You you really take off at Oklahoma State with some great running backs. Then you enter the NFL game, and you get to coach some of the all time legends. I'm going to say some names, and you tell me some memories. Let's start off with Frank Gore. <laughs> Frank the Tank, that's my man. Now, so here's the thing: you walk into a room. You, this is your first day coaching in the NFL, and you're coaching a guy that you've watched play for years. He is a Hall of Fame guy, and all that's going through my mind is, what the heck am I going to teach this? What do I say to him? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and and that's that was an amazing thing. Just he would sit back, and you just knew he was taking in every single word that I said. And it was probably a week or two where I think I got the stamp of approval for him. He's like. This guy knows ball. And, yeah. and, and basically, at that point, I kind of had the room. You know, it was a, a good opportunity for me to teach and do those things. And I think I had, I actually, as crazy as it may sound, taught Frank maybe a thing or two he hadn't learned yeah. in, in the past. And we still have a good relationship and keep in touch now. But that, it, it is. You walk into that room and it, it could be intimidating. But I always just stayed true to myself and made sure that, you know, it was all about the ball and different techniques and to be detailed. And I think he appreciated that. And, you know, it was fortunate he had a thousand yards of rushing when I was there when the oldest guys to get it. So that was a cool moment for him. And the crazy, crazy thing about Frank, I got to tell this story. So yeah. he would get all the game balls after games. And he didn't care, but like he get, he was like, here, have this. He would give me these game balls. I still have in my house. And I told him, hey, when you're retired and you get to, I'm giving you these back. You're gonna yeah, they're going to mean back. something. Yeah. yeah. So I've kind of been holding them for him all these years now that I got to get them back to. Hopefully I can just maybe take it when he gets inducted to the Hall of Fame and give them to him. I remember doing a game of Frank Gore's. Maybe he was, I forget what team he was even on at this point. It was at the end of the, the run for him. And I asked him, like, do you want to get into coaching? And his son was playing already in college. And he said, I've always liked scouting and I have an mm -hmm. eye for talent. And I was like, damn, can you, remember, can you imagine Frank Gore as an NFL general manager? Could you see that someday? <laughs> it's crazy. You know, he used to come in and that's how he kind of watched opponent tape. And he was like, he knew. He was like, yeah, he ain't got no dog in him. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's sharp. This guy's pretty good. Like, he would have some detailed stuff. So I could definitely see him transitioning into that part of the football career here. I'm going to give you one more name. Marshawn Lynch. You coached oh. him when he was in Oakland. What do you got for Marshawn, oh. especially walking into that room? No doubt. You know, I, I love that dude. He, he's such, he's so genuine. And, and that's what you, you see the media stuff and you, you maybe get a little bit of it when he was playing, you know, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Everybody knows all that stuff. But the, here's the, the one thing about Marshawn. And this is all I needed to know when I got to Oakland. You know, I sat down with the young running backs each individually when I get there. It's kind of a common thing I do. Sat down with them and I just remember 
Hey, you know, I had a little tough time, but Marshawn helped me out. And boom, next guy. Yeah, it was rough here, but uh, Marshawn, you know, he helped me get through some really? things. And he kept saying, it was like all that. I was like, that's all I need to know. This man is a phenomenal teammate and he takes care of his guys and they love him in the locker room. I didn't need to know anything else. You know, now we had some great conversations. There's even some, you know, teaching techniques and things that he did visually that I've incorporated into the things that I teach as well. I, it's a give and take. I tell these guys all the time, I'm still in stuff from you do you maybe think you're getting stuff from me I'm stealing stuff from you as well and he was just great that way and just phenomenal physical still one of the toughest running backs to play the game I truly well you'd watch some tape and not to call out anybody but there's a few people that turned it down when he was coming through the hole mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. business decision is what they would call <laughs> yeah, that um, definite business <laughs> Uh, I, I'm so happy for your success now and you're, you guys are the top team in the NFC. You and I have had conversations in recent off seasons about coaching, you know, hiring practices and, you know, things that maybe we'd like to see changed over the years. Now, obviously you're a person of color. You've got this incredible resume. Uh, and when you look at the NFL as a landscape, you personally, like, do you want to have a, large, a louder voice and maybe have access to, hey, here's some things we could do? And if you could make any suggestions on opening doors for other faces and other voices, what would be some of the suggestions you might have? You know, definitely. That's that's something that's at the forefront right now. And I've always felt that it, it comes down to training and opportunities, right? It's it's do the people have the proper training? Do they have access to that training? And, and you know, obviously a little bit of military jargon there, but it really is that coaching is, is the same way. How can I, how can we get guys the ability to learn, maybe to be in the coach in the quarterback room to learn quarterback play? And I think it may go down to even at the lower levels, like having more minorities playing the, those positions playing the quarterback position yeah. to where they kind of grow. As you just look at the nature of this profession, that position, because of its leadership, because of its having to understand the entire side of the ball, those type of things, kind of lends itself for those guys to become head coaches. So uh, just, just training in opportunities, anything that the NFL can do. And I know there's some programs that they have in place to where they do that. And then just the interaction. At the end of the day, there's, there's 32 guys that are making kind of those decisions and being able to to have some interactions with those guys to where they get a chance to maybe meet a young man from a, a different part and kind of build their list of possible candidates, you know, GMs the same way. So just anything that we can do that from training, from the ground roots, from the start, from the bottom up, and then anything that we can have that allows these guys to have some accessibility to some of the people that are kind of making the decisions, it, it's only going to help. And I think at and the I end also, of the day, go ahead. I was going to cut you off and say, I think, getting in the room for the interview helps too, you know, like, and getting that opportunity to have your reps and getting all that, like, I want to help any way I can to make it a, a different situation. Obviously the optics as we see it now are not ideal. And it's, you know, a lot of it is just, like you said, there's 32 owners. How do we introduce different faces, different voices that maybe those owners won't have interaction with every day, especially if they're not in their building. Exactly. It is. And it's, you know, you have some of the coaches meeting. I think that actually, I don't know the name of the program. I hate to say that, but the, the NFL had a recent program where they did some yeah. things like that. I mean, and, and it's even from simple stuff to, hey, you know what? Maybe it's a golf outing. Maybe it's just some social meetings that you can set up for those guys. And I, I, But I do think that the, the most important thing is do we have viable candidates? And that's making mm -hmm. sure that the pool of viable candidates from guys that are trained, guys that are prepared, because you, you just never know. I mean, going into an interview for a head coach, not that I've had one of those, but I could see is it could be pretty intimidating. You got GM, you got owners, you got all that stuff. Well, 
how prepared is a guy to walk into that situation and allowing that. And I think that's just for everybody, just getting those experiences. You mentioned it, getting the reps. I remember my first ever interview for a coaching job. Oh my gosh, it's the worst thing I've ever done. But I learned so much from that one failure that it helped me grow so much. But if you never even have that chance to, to experience that failure, the growth is a little bit harder to achieve. I think uh, you're an incredible dude, and I think this team is on a roll right now. If you could sum up the vibe in that building right now, from ownership, from Mr. Laurie on down to to the guys who work the day-to-day in the cafeteria and the ladies who work in the cafeteria, like what's the feeling right now in Philadelphia for our listeners who are tuning in now as we enter week 15 of what's been a really cool Eagles season? Well, let me say that, and I've been to a couple other places, and this is not me kissing up. This is just true to my heart. This place here is unlike any other place I've been in. This facility, just the people here, and it starts at the top of Mr. Lord. I mean, we have everything you could possibly need to succeed, and he's going to give us everything that we need. You jump down to Howie, talk about the players that we have here and the things that he's been able to bring into this building. It's, it's been phenomenal. I mean, I just, my room alone, it's always been, okay, what do you need? How can we get better? How can we get better? And that, when it starts, there, it's awesome. Then you got Nick. I mean, running things is is always a great vibe. We already talked about the fun, the competing, just his passion and energy that's gone. That everybody, it's this building is awesome. I mean, it's just it's one of those things that we're in Philly, we're winning. The vibe you talk about. I've been some places where you win and it ain't always as fun. No, nah, yeah. here it is. It's it's top of the world right now. We got to keep and and it's the great thing is we've got it, but everybody's still hungry. It's like in the building, yes. we haven't done anything yet. We haven't done anything. Miles is, oh yeah, I got, no, he hasn't done anything yet. And he'll tell you that. So it's just that vibe of, you know, it's a mission. Like military, man, we're on a mission. And then we ain't done until the mission is completed. And that's the vibe. It's, hey, we're having fun. We're enjoying what we're doing, but we came here to work and we're going to continue to work until the work is done. Oh man, you got to be ready to run through a wall right now. Let's and I'll go. tell you what, Let's I'll go. tell you what, you got the bears this weekend and then you got that game Christmas Eve in Dallas. I, Hey, I don't, I'm on, not saying on. you're looking at it. Hey, 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 hold hey, on. Hey, you can't be. I, only, what, what, I heard the Bears, and that's all I, know, I heard. I know. I know. I know. And I think that's important. Yeah. And I feel like I got that vibe being around this team just a little bit on Sunday on the sidelines that they were 100% focused on the Giants, and they weren't thinking mm-hmm. about Super Bowl, and they weren't thinking about the Cowboys, and they weren't thinking about the 49ers and Brock Purdy. You guys are doing something really special, and I think you – specifically in that running backs room have been doing something really special. I got to thank you for doing all that. And I guess on the way out, just your one message from, I guess, for Philly fans who might be tuning in, what this team, what you want to represent from Philadelphia and, you know, kind of your feeling as far as the mutual relationship between this Eagles franchise and that fan base. It's, we're brothers. It's amazing. And I keep going back to multiple road games. We're down in Arizona, and we have home field advantage. The home team has to go silent cadence in a two-minute series because our fans are so loud. And I've said that today. I don't. I don't want lukewarm. I don't want lukewarm. I want all in. And these, they're going to be all in, and they're all in when you're doing right, and they're going to let you know when you're doing wrong. And that's the best part about this place. It's the team. They don't understand these guys walking down, working in in the streets of Philly here. It, we're the same way. We're 
we're just doing it a little bit different. We're working just as hard as you guys. We're trying to bring everything we can to, to your lives, your daily. So that when you come into that stadium on Sundays, you can have a good time, get going, hoot and holler, maybe, maybe a boo every now and then just because you're passionate about right. it. And that's okay. That's okay. But this is, this is place right here. When you talk about the fan base, when you talk about this organization, I can't think of a better place in the world to be than right here, right now. Ooh, I'll tell you, it almost feels like it's cliche or it's pandering or something, but like you watch a Lane Johnson, you watch a Jason Kelsey, you see a Javon Hargrave, like those guys are lunch pail guys and Uh. they represent Philadelphia. And I feel like your team right now, this 2022 Eagles is as symbolic of that city as any of the Eagles teams we've had in recent history. No doubt. They're a big part of it. We're, we're doing a lot for them and they're doing a lot for us. And it's 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 a great opportunity. And these guys are getting fired up about things that really matter. I mean, Miles, the other day, he's got so hyped up about a block, his blocking. <laughs> yeah. I, now, I'm not going to lie, I got pretty hyped up, too, because he got after <laughs> it. But those are the thing. And you see our line on a QB sneak. And they're so far. The energy is awesome. The energy is phenomenal. Again, starts with up at the top with our ownership and our GM and then obviously coming down our head coach with Nick. And it's just permeating throughout the building. We got the right people in this building. Dude, I love talking to you. Jamal Singleton, running backs coach for the Eagles, also the assistant head coach. You got a bright future ahead of you, but you've already done such a cool thing in your career. And thanks for representing not only, uh, you know, the Eagles every week, but also your military background and all the different people who want to be head coaches someday. You're doing something on a day-to-day basis that I think is really inspiring. Man, I appreciate that. Just trying to be the best I can be for these young men in this building. That's service. That's what that is. And uh, Jamal, thank you so much. Good luck this weekend. And uh, we won't talk about any weeks further. No, better not. One at a time. All right. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Jamel Singleton was fantastic. Uh, Running backs coach for the Eagles, a great man, great story. And uh, we love bringing him on the podcast. We also like bringing in our guy, Taylor Kyles. Taylor works with the NFL Network Research Group back in Los Angeles. And he and I go back and forth during the week and say, what can we do that makes this podcast a little bit smarter? And I I kicked off uh, my shout out this week to Jared Goff and what he's been through off the field and his mental toughness. But I wanted to bring in Taylor, talk a little bit more on the field. Taylor, welcome to the season with Peter Schrager. Thank you, brother. Great to be back. Thank you again for having me. Love having you on, and uh, I love what the Lions are doing on offense. You're going to make us smarter. Jared Goff is having this Pro Bowl season. If it wasn't for Jalen Hurts, he'd be the number one quarterback in the NFC this season. And I think it feels like it came out of seemingly nowhere, but Goff has done this in the past. What are you seeing from Jared Goff this year that maybe we haven't seen the past few seasons? So it's pretty funny because roster-wise, there are some overlaps to kind of the Rams. Like, he got the really good receiving core, obviously, Amon Ross St. Brown, Shark, Jamison Williams catching his first career touchdown, which is pretty fantastic. 
But the Lions, he may have the best offensive line he's ever had. Talk about it. I love it. It's talking Lions offensive line. Let's go. I mean, Panay Sewell going in motion (laughs) and catching the game-clinching pass was one of the most out-of-pocket things I have ever seen, and it gave me the best goosebumps. Like, that was fantastic. Uh, But when you got athletes like that on the line, man, you're going to get a lot done. And... You know, with the Rams, they had that whole outside zone scheme, boot off of it, which everyone's still trying to copy. But with Dan Campbell's system, what they're doing more is they run a lot of downhill schemes. They can do anything. But it's a lot of downhill stuff where teams are saying, okay, we need to load the box to defend these guys. Now, Jared Goff is getting more opportunities against more man coverage, with more single high defenses. And he, despite the fact that he's using play action at one of the lowest rates of his career, he has three more touchdowns on play action than the next closest player. Hmm. So the play action is one element of it. He's getting a lot of good plays with his receivers, obviously doing a great job. He's getting the protection back there. But I think you have to bring the off-field part of it as well because the confidence that he's playing with is something that we just – we saw glimpses of it last season, his first year with the Lions. But really, like, the decision-making, the anticipation, just the willingness to kind of let him rip it and not necessarily – lean on play action as i said before you know they're giving him more chances to drop back and go downfield and although he's not throwing downfield really more than he used to he's got some of the lowest air yards per attempt that he's had in his career past two years or top three lowest he's had but at the same time he's actually making the throws and you see him throwing with more confidence where instead of kind of being reserved to just a handful of plays where if it's long yardage you pretty much with the rams could guarantee he was just going to throw a deep in route now you're seeing a little more diversity in the scheme and him knowing i got these top receivers and the staff that believes in me i can kind of let that thing ring and go downfield when i need to and actually execute it's been really really cool to watch for a guy who as you said has been through a lot in his career especially mentally and now here's the question for me and let's put your hat on as you're an ap voter you know nfl honors we do comeback player of the year and a lot of times it's just the guy who tore his knee up last year and i'm saying that flippantly i mean that's an awesome story when that guy comes back and runs for a thousand yards jared goff wasn't injured last year jared goff uh if anything his feelings might have been hurt would you say he's eligible for comeback player of the year? Or do you think that's insulting to Goff, who would probably say, like, hey, I, I, I've been here all along. It's not some comeback story. I've been here. It's just It just took time to get together and to make this thing work. I don't think it'd be disrespectful to Goff, because I think even he'd acknowledge that the pieces around him are some of the best, again, that he's had in his career. And now I think he's being able to elevate the talent around him as well and kind of capitalize on it. Now, personally, comeback player of the year, I'd go Geno Smith. Mm-hmm. Had a rough week last week, I will admit that. But, I mean, the, what he's done after being off the map for so long has been very impressive. Uh, but at the same time, what golf is doing, man, like I don't think anybody's – you know, saying that, oh, this is exactly what we thought we were going to see from Jared Goff. And even he speaks to, you know, the confidence that he has this season. I keep going back to that word confidence, confidence. But when, you know, you're the essentially the face of a franchise as the quarterback, that's a pretty impressive piece of the pie there. And, uh, yeah, I don't think it's disrespectful. I think it's pretty fair to say, you know, Goff was successful, obviously helped bring his team to a Super Bowl with the Rams, but he wasn't the guy. He wasn't the featured player. And I'm not necessarily saying that he is the guy for the uh, Lions offense. I think those running backs are doing a fantastic job as well. They're really doing a lot for that offense. But, I mean, he's playing at a level that he hasn't in his career. So I think it's very fair to say that he's in the running for comeback player of the year. I love it. I'm going to give you one name right now, and it's going to come up a bunch in the final weeks of the season. 
Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson is the offensive coordinator of the Lions. He's 36 years old. He does play calls, and he's the one who's calling that Sewell play. And mm-hmm. I know we're always looking for the next young offensive mind. There's a lot of great ones out there, but don't be shocked if a 36-year-old who you've probably not as familiar with, not you, everyone, I'm saying, because he's been mm-hmm. with the Detroit Lions, and he's with the Miami Dolphins as a wide receivers coach before then. Uh, ben Johnson has been been really in golf here. I think it's a cool story. And uh, Taylor, I appreciate you. Thanks for bringing to light exactly what Jared Goff is doing. I didn't realize he's doing even less play action. I feel like every time I'm watching him, it's that play action pass and that deep pass. No, they're just calling it at the right time. He's making most of those opportunities, exactly. All right, you're the man. Thanks for making us smarter. We'll get back with you next week. Absolutely can't wait. Thank you, brother. All right, Taylor was great and does a lot of the NFL Network research, and I really appreciate it. But I go back with my next guest. Jason Thornberry is one of the smartest football guys I know, an amazing researcher, fantasy football expert, all the stuff. We were on a crew together for many years uh, doing Fox games. I was a sideline reporter. He was the stats and research guy. And on Friday nights, Thorn was what we called him. He got to pick where we're going for dinner. And he would always pick the best steakhouse in town. And we would have the best time. And we would rattle up that bill. And Thorn would have a giant T-bone steak or a tomahawk. And I love this guy. And then I stopped doing the sidelines. I get in the studio. And Jason Thornberry gets elevated to the number one crew at Fox, doing work with Olsen and Burkhart. And I couldn't be prouder of him. Then I'm watching this game on Sunday. It's a blowout late in the fourth quarter. And Kevin Burkhart just throws out a little comment and says, Jason Thornberry is going to be traveling from San Francisco, where the game was, to Seattle, where he lives. And he's going through Okinawa. Okinawa. I said, oh, I know exactly what that means. That's an inside joke. I had to bring on Thorn because we're going to go deep cut sports media travel situations. And we're going to talk about what that means. Jason Thornberry, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Peter. You are a crazy man for having a behind-the-scenes guy talk about his travel, but uh, that's, that's what makes the podcast so good. I, I, first of all, a big fan, big fan of the podcast. Uh, you texted um, me a couple weeks ago. I was flattered yeah. and overwhelmed that you were listening. If, if, you, if you would like to get into why you were wrong about Turkey on Thanksgiving at some point today, <laughs> I could do that for you, but you know, it's your show, so you go where you want. It is. Uh, you're a Seattle guy, and you fly out of Seattle. And what's that airport called? TAC? SAC? What do they call <laughs> C-TAC. it? SeaTac. 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 Giant monstrosity of an airport. Um, but you probably do a lot of East Coast games, do it working with Burkhart and those guys. A lot of Dallas trips, a lot of Philadelphia trips. You are living a lot of your life on an airplane. True or false? I, I plead guilty to that. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I do it. Yeah, I do a lot of a lot of the times on a. On a I'm doing a lot of work on an airplane. Working on an airplane all the time. So, I hear yeah. you. I do the same. I live in New York and I work in L.A. every weekend. So I spend 14 hours a week uh, during the se- the season on the weekends on those airplanes. And you become not obsessed, but the life of airplane and flight travel becomes a big part of your happiness and your mental health and everything and your physical well being. And when you get a certain status on the airline, your life becomes a little easier. You get to board the plane first. You get the upgrades when they're available. And you get to at least lean into the fact that, hey, I gave my entire winter to traveling and now I'm getting some perks out of this thing. So when I giggle and cackle at home hearing that Jason Thornberry on a national broadcast is traveling from 
San Francisco through Okinawa to Seattle. I had to hit you up and say, get us into it. Tell us what that means. We didn't get any context from Burkhart. I just laughed because I know this certainly was some allusion or some reference to the way you're going to collect your miles at the end of the year. Because on January 1st, you start at zero on the odometer again. And I know where you're probably at. You're probably right at that gold medallion thing, right? (laughs) I mean, I'm close, baby. (laughs) I'm close and I'm not... uh... I got to I got to late November and I realized, ooh, I got a little bit of work to do here because uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes I just lost track of it. I usually I'll break it down for you. I usually I'm a, I'm obsessed with this, so I usually keep a yeah. spreadsheet to make sure that the airline is properly crediting me and all this stuff. And there was one year where they screwed up and I was on the phone with them like, look, I got a spreadsheet that shows me, I know how many miles I got. So Hell I went yeah. back and forth and they figured it out and they were wrong and I got credit. So I'm, I'm a kind of obsessed with it, but this year I let it go a little bit. I got to the end of November and I'm like, wow, I'm really behind. So I had to make some trips up. I didn't actually connect through Okinawa. That was Burkhart's funny way of saying, but I did have a, a crazy trip where I, for, I, can I just say too? This is all above board, by the way. I'm not. I'm all. All these things are within policy with Fox. Oh, we're not all, the Fox Travel folks. They're aware. It's all good. It's all under budget. These, it's trust all approved. me. These flights cost less when you do seven connecting flights than a direct. Trust <laughs> it's, me. It's, it's, you're actually true. It's actually true. So uh, anyway, so I went from Seattle, where I live, to Boston, back to Seattle, <laughs> and then to San Jose. And then on the way home, I went. The way home, I went San Jose, Seattle, JFK, Seattle. So, you know, I, I, it was a it was an eleven thousand mile weekend, and uh, put it on the board, baby. Put it on the board, and you know I'm back on track. So th- this week I have another kind of crazy one, but then after that I'll be okay. I need. I also needed to build up a little buffer because um, we have a, a, a Christmas Eve game, and I really want to get home. For Christmas morning, so I can't be taking a while. Can't be, can't be itinerary. Right. No. So I got to get right. home for that. So I needed to build it up a little bit. All right. If you think you're crazy, hey, I've done this. I've done this multiple <laughs> years, because all right, I'm a I'm a Delta flyer. I'll just say it like it is, Delta flyer, and the highest level is Diamond, and you get to mid December, and you've been on the road all season, and you're flying, and you're like, I'm gonna be short. And what they do is the different legs count and all the miles count. So sometimes if I've got to go to Los Angeles from New York, I might take a pit stop in, in Salt Lake City. <laughs> I might, right. just to get those extra ones. It, we might be going through Atlanta and everyone might think that's crazy. But the difference of of seeing that status hit is such a sick thing for us folks who travel for a living that it matters. Now, you're going to Jacksonville. That can't be a direct shot from Seattle. What no. is the well, route this week? They're actually is a direct shot from Jacksonville, but, or from Seattle to Jacksonville, yeah. But what I'm doing is, uh, again, a little crazy, but I'm doing is Seattle to Boston (laughs) to Miami to Jacksonville. And and what you just said was the pit stop. The pit stop in Miami is huge because of this. Um, How long? The the the, the flight to, from Miami to Jayville is very short. Jayville, right? but <laughs> but the minimum the minimum amount of, of of miles they give me is 500. So even though that's like 180 miles, 200 miles, whatever, 300 miles, whatever it you is, you get the free 300. I mean, it's it's a win for everyone. So we're beating the system. Y- you have to, and I want to say too, this isn't just about like. 
and partly it's about the scoreboard. Like when I'm getting on that flight and I'm standing in line and they're like, okay, our 100,000 miles or whatever, the top group, the diamonds, I want to be in that group. Like I don't, I want, any, I don't want anybody <laughs> getting on that flight thinking that they got one over on me. Like I, I am the top guy, right? First one on, first one off. That's my, that's my thing. So, but the, but the real reason is, as anybody who's traveled knows, uh, traveling is not fun. It's not easy. And if you don't have status on that airline, you barely get a smile out of those people. It's true. But if you have status, they roll out the red carpet for you. So, Bro. Um, you know, the higher you are on the status level, the more likely you are to get a first class upgrade. And let me tell you, sitting, sitting in uh, coach, it's, it's a dehumanizing experience. You know, <laughs> you're, you're sitting there. And I have, you know, I'm not huge, but I have fairly broad oh, shoulders. The cart, the cart comes the through. Cart, and the, knees. Cart, <laughs> the cart, the cart, the cart, every single time, bam, in the shoulder, every single time. And then you got this guy next to you in the middle seat who's like six five, four hundred pounds, and he's spilling over into your seat. You're trying to work on your laptop, and the guy in front of you is putting down his reclining, and your your right leg, you're going like this. It's impossible, right? I have two good stories for you in recent memory. All right. I'm racing to make a flight out of LA, racing. And they're like, you know, when they do the name on the, on the thing, like, Mr. Schrager, we're about to close the doors. And I get to the gate and there's a line of like, of like, you know, 10 people and I'm last on the line. I'm like, fine, I'm fine. And I, I put my thing in and the woman at the gate like lights up. She's like, oh my God, thank you for being diamond. I'm like, oh, no, no, no problem. Like, no, it's, hey, uh, no big deal. No big deal. I walk on and I've got a, I've got a carry on bag and I go into the first class where I got upgraded to because of my diamond status and I'm about to put it up and I'm last one on the plane and the, the lovely flight attendant's like, sir, you're going to have to check that. And I go, oh no, 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 no. I'm diamond. That's right, and she baby. looked at me and said. Okay, put it right there. You deserve it. Go for it's it. True. Thank you for your thank it's you true. for your service. As if I was a, as a you know, thank you for your service. I'm like, no, no, please, please, <laughs> no. please. No. You, you know it, what's uh, sick too is is uh, sometimes when I am in coach, they come by and they give you this uh, they give you this chocolate bar and you know and they say, <laughs> oh, thank you, you know, thank you for all your 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 service or whatever. You thank you for. And the times that they don't do that, I look at them. I'm like. Don't you got a chocolate bar for me? I mean, I want, I want them, I want, I want I them want to it. say thank you for flying. Like I want yeah. the acknowledgement. But really, it's about the first class upgrades. That's why I do it. And I was explaining this to the guys on Saturday night at our, pr our production meeting, and our producer Richie Zions was calling me Marco Polo, and which was funny. But yeah. the like KB and Greg Olson and oh they don't know those guys have been flying first class their whole exactly. lives. That's what I said. I'm like, hey, you think man. Greg Olson's ever sat in coach? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I was like, if I had you know if I had a first class uh, on my ticket, uh, sure. if I could book it like that, I would. But I can't, so I got to sure. go through all this stuff. If you had ten thousand receiving yards and you know a Super right. Bowl if appearance, a, maybe you know <laughs> Hall of Fame tight end uh, nominee or whatever it is, I you know maybe I would be on that list too. But I'm not. My my only other story that you'll love is this. My wife travels with me sometimes and like she sees a version of me that she does not like. Oh, yeah. It is a I'm version right of me you. that she is disgusted by. She thinks I'm just this, this, this whore. Like she calls it airport Peter. Cause I walk in 
And I'm telling you, they're like, all right, we'll be doing boarding in like 15 minutes. And she's like, I got to use the restroom. I'm like, you're not going to, uh, sorry, we're not missing that for, we're not missing our group. I'm not walking with group two. I cannot get on group. <laughs> you are right. getting right on this gate. You are sitting right here. She's like, stop it. I'm going to get a Toblerone bar from Hudson News. I'm like, we, no, no, we are not missing group one. And, and she's like, they still have to do the pre-boarding and they got to do the, you know, the people with this, with, with, you know, the, the, the need extra help. And they have the military service. I go, Erica? You're not going anywhere. Hold your pee in. You're not getting That's your right. food. We're sitting right here. You had an hour in the airport to That's do right. all that. We are not getting boarded. No one is getting on that plane before me. I am using my service, my, my status. Um, That's right. I become a different person, but I, there are a few kindred spirits out there. So when I heard you were going through Okinawa to get to Seattle from San Francisco, I said, Thorne, you are my brother, my brother in arms. I, I'm right there with you. I, I had a similar story where, my whole life, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm standing there waiting to board, and they always say, if you have children, you can get on, right? <laughs> and I always thought, man, I can't wait for that. So one of the first times I'm flying my wife and my young son at that point, my wife decides to go to the restroom. And we're, I'm like, <laughs> what? No. And so no, she goes. No. She goes, I got to take him. I'm not going to change his diaper <laughs> on the plane, all this stuff. I'm like, okay. Sure Hell enough, no. We're the first ones on. <laughs> sure enough, they're like, if you have little kids, you can get on the plane. And I'm just, I'm, I don't know what, I'm just out of my mind. I'm out of my mind. I'm like, my whole life, this is the moment I've been waiting for. My whole life. And now This is I why have, I had the kid. This is the only reason I had the kid. This is why I had This him. was it. Yeah, she, um, she thinks I'm a little nuts when it comes to it, but, uh, you know, whatever. She, you know, she's great. She's awesome with it. But yeah, traveling with her, I, you know, I've trained her and I've trained the kids too. I have two boys. I've trained them. We go through security. Like we are awesome through security Yeah, and they know, yeah. they know the whole situation and, and it's good. But I, they are, they also want to sit in first class and I'm like, yeah. I'm sorry. I have rules. Sorry. And Guys, I, I do not belong <laughs> in first class. They don't. Okay. So that, that's a good airline discussion real quick before we wrap it. You, uh, there's nothing that I find um, more, I don't know what the word is, like discouraging or unsettling, or I feel less successful than when I go into that first class and I get the upgrade and I'm sitting there and I see, you know, four seats, two parents and, and, and two kids. And I'm like, gosh, does that six-year-old know? Does no. he understand just how good that is? And is he going to grow up to be a different person because he was flying first class as a six-year-old? Like, like we, we cut our teeth, dude. We sat in 32A. We That's earned right. this. Right. That kid, that kid with the iPad, that kid kicking my seat. I don't even mind the kicking the seat in the iPad. It's just the entitlement that he gets to sit in first right. class while, you know, I had to wait until I was 38 years old to get that upgrade. It's the same thing. If people, if you can't relate to that, let me, let me give you this. It's the same thing as you take your kid to the ball game, right? Do you, see, do you get the best seats behind home plate? No. You go up to the right field bleachers and you make them sit in the nosebleeds for like five, six, seven games, a couple seasons worth. So he knows what a privilege it is to sit behind the dugout. You know what I mean? I took my kid up there. And he's like, wow, I can't see anything. I'm like, yeah, that's a point. That's the, that's point. the point. You can't that's see the point. anything. So when we finally do go sit behind the behind the dugout, when we do sit behind home plate, you'll really enjoy it. You'll really appreciate it. It's the same thing with flying. For, I don't get – I have a lot of airline rules, and we probably you probably don't want to hear them, but one of them I is – I do. This is the best stuff we've now, had. One of – the A number one is kids do not sit in first class. It must be – it has to be like an emergency or something because they, they don't understand – what, what it means to be in that wide seat and not have your shoulder hit. <laughs> they just don't get it. It's not their fault. They just don't belong no. there. They don't get it. But, yeah, that's that's right at the top of the list. I can't 
I, I, I hate, especially if I don't get an upgrade and I walk through and no. I'm like, oh, there's a five-year-old sitting there? Hey, oh, okay. What do you think when you get on there and you don't have the upgrade and you see one of the, uh, one of the, you know, a flight attendant from a different flight sitting up there oh. or you see oh. that one, that one hurts. That hurts. Yeah. Anytime, anytime. I want them to like, fly first class. I do, but I mean, I'm a, I'm, I mean, come on. I'm a long time paying customer. I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I, I, I've paid my dues, man. I've paid my dues. <laughs> yeah. Anytime, any, any, I'm always, that's another reason why having status is important because I check in for the flight and if I'm not immediately upgraded, then I go onto a wait list and I check that wait list. And if I'm oh not number, if I'm not number one on the wait list, my week is ruined. Me too. I'm like, who is this guy? Who is it? Who, who is it? So I'm looking at the, I'm getting in line. I'm looking, I'm like, who's, who, who's the one that got the upgrade? It's like yeah. when you were in high school and, and like, you'd be like the best player on your team or whatever. And then you hear about the kid from the other town. You're like, All right, I want to <laughs> totally. see who is that kid? Totally. Absolutely. Who is that kid? No yeah. doubt. Uh, yeah. So Thornberry, in addition to flying, you do a great job every week. You do a lot of the stats and the research on that number one Fox game. Really appreciate your work and your friendship over the years and uh, incredible, incredible stuff right here. And uh, I'm laughing my yeah. ass off. Great job all right thanks for having me on you're the man you do great work uh, it's, uh you know I, I wish we were still working on a crew together but you went on to better and bigger and better things so not true uh, not true i love uh, working well. with you and we'll work again in the future you're all the right. man sounds great all right thanks hey, for having quickly, me quickly plug yeah. plug your podcast plug your stuff all right well i don't have a podcast but um I, my my day job my day job is yeah. i work for rotowire a fantasy sports website the premier fantasy sports website rotowire yeah. right there so any uh, fantasy news information, go there. If you want, uh, you can get a free 10-day trial. You don't have to pay for anything. You don't have to put your credit card in. You just uh, sign up, get a free 10-day trial. It's a subscription site. But uh, I do all the – I'm the football editor there and all the football stuff. And we put out a magazine in the spring, summer, uh, previewing the season. So and even if you're not a fantasy football guy, you can uh, get that magazine and learn everything you want to know about the upcoming season. So maybe I'll get you in there. You'll, get a, you'll, you'll do a mock draft with us, uh, Schrager. I'll do it. All I'll right, do it. Roto wire. I would have said Roto-wire. take Brock Pur- take Brock Purdy first overall. That would have been I'm my sure advice back yeah, in the spring. Course, yeah, that was it. Yeah. Um, you're the man. Roto wire. Everybody, right. check it out. And that right All there right. is Jason Thornberry. Uh, Jason, thanks, dude. Thorn's the man. Uh, what a fun podcast we're having here. Lots of voices, but I wanted to end it, Aaron. Um, we said before last week's episode, or that we would watch the final two white lotus episode spoiler alert if you haven't watched any of the season or you haven't watched the finale spoiler alert we're gonna have a quick quick discussion on it aaron i want to know uh from one to ten your feelings on the finale did it did it fulfill all the expectations for you yeah i loved it i mean i think that uh having 24 hours now to digest it i think I preferred season one over season two, actually, but uh, the finale was great. Had like probably the funniest moment of the season as well as the best acting moment. And so the finale was like top notch for sure. I say season two by a landslide over season one. And I thought as funny as you might think the Tanya scene was, I thought the tension of those 10 minutes, I was on the edge of my seat. That was like any thriller I've ever seen. I was far more... Um, I guess dramatically affected than comedically. Like, I, I thought I saw the fear in Portia's eyes when she was in that car with Jack, and I'm like, "This is really scary. I don't know where this is going." Um, and Quentin and his crew, I, I thought that was that was some of the the great villain, uh, you know, acting we've seen. That actor, I'm going uh, Tom Tom Hollander. Uh, Tom Hollander. 
I am not familiar with him. Were you familiar with his work? So he has done, um, God, he's been in like a lot of TV shows as well as like, uh, uh, Pride and Prejudice. Okay. Um, so British. He, yeah. 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 Um, he is also a theater guy. I mean, he's, he's very talented. He was, he just oozed like slime terror throughout. And, and in the beginning, like you see him as this, he's sort of doting on, on Jennifer Coolidge and, um, you do get a, a little undercurrent of like, this can't be all good. Yeah. And it keeps going and it keeps going. And like the, I, I mean, I love the, uh, the, them at the opera and, oh, is that the queen? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so good. There's so much. Yeah. Um, he, he's incredible. Uh, the guy who played Jack, like. Where'd he I, come from? I have no idea. So I, what I heard was when he's singing that thing about the bubbles and, and that and through the town, Apparently that's the West Ham United song, and he's like you know, this brash, you know, Brit. And then when Portia calls him out on you know the stuff with the uncle, and you see the whole look in his eyes change, and like you get the feeling that when he was talking about being in a hole, and you know that these guys are not guys you mess with, Quentin and those boys. And yeah, I thought that it was just terrifying. Um, the MVP of the finale or have an MVP of the season for you. Cause I love this show. I think it's going to win all the Emmys and I, I think they're all going to win awards, but if you're not watching white Lotus, just it's six episodes, seven episodes. It's fantastic. Um, Aaron, your MVP of the season. So I want to pick Daphne, Megan Faye, because I thought she was someone who was so unassuming at the beginning. I thought she was one of the characters I disliked the most after episode one and I thought I had her figured out and I a hundred percent did not. And she, I mean like the scene with her on the beach with Oof, Ethan, the look in her, her eyes, her face changes. It's all visual. Amazing. And that was uh, like, she's another theater person. She, she started off on Broadway. I loved her so much. I do think you have to consider Jennifer Coolidge, uh, for MVP. And I also think, um, uh, Lucia, uh, Lucia and uh, Mia yeah. you have to be in there too. So that's that's where I'm going. I really want to give it to Daphne, I think. Yeah, I think it's Daphne. The actress's name is what? Megan Fahey or Morgan Fahey? I think, I, I think it's Fahey. Never had seen her before, never had heard of her. And I was listening to a podcast, I think the Prestige TV podcast with Bill Simmons and Mallory Rubin and Joanna. And they were saying that she's a very uh, well-known decorated theater actor. And... Um, wonderful in musicals and has a beautiful singing voice and all that. Like, but I thought the facial stuff from her was amazing. So now quick questions. One, it goes without saying, I guess now, but I, I wasn't sure at the time. Um, Ethan played by Will Sharp and Daphne played by the aforementioned uh, Megan Fahey. They go to that little island. They do, they do do the deed. Is that what you, is that what we're supposed to think? Yes. I think so. Uh, there's a there's this little thing on HBO after the episode yeah. um, where Mike White talks about it and he's kind of flipping about it like it's it, we can assume what we want and um, and yes the assumption is yes but I think the main thing is like that trip to the island where Ethan goes and he doesn't stop and he keeps looking back yep. and he keeps walking that is when like the two couples transition and suddenly. Ethan uh, becomes Cam. Becomes what he oh, does. Oh, dude, that's yep. good. 
they merge and it, they're, they're so judgmental. He and Harper, the entire first half of the series. And then by the end of it, they're no better. They're in the same position. And it seemed like Ethan needed to do that to be able to look at Harper and obviously have that moment with her at the end. But like they're cuddling in the airport at the end. Like it almost yeah. reminded me of the first season when you had, uh, I guess it was, uh, what's her name? Alexis Daddario. What's her name? Yeah, yeah. Her character. Alexandra Daddario. Alexand- I'm terrible with names. But she and you think she's going to have the courage to make a big change and walk away and all this stuff. But she doesn't either. There was something. I do feel like season one, everyone kind of left and kind of was in almost the same state as when they got there. And in season two, it did feel like some characters sort of fell back into the same. Like you have the the three guys, uh, the the generational thing with the woman walking yep. by them in line and they all look. So some of it is like, oh yeah, we have a I almost appreciated Albie. He's like, yeah, I got played. Like yeah. he just, yeah. $50,000 down the drains, but like whatever. <laughs> yeah. Got played. But but there is something nice kind of seeing Ethan and Harper, like maybe they did change a little bit, whether or not it's good and whether or not they're proud of the change. Uh, you know, one of the big things that Daphne said is like, what is it that makes you happy? And it's not something that you can necessarily judge for an outside relationship. And to say, like, they didn't vote. They're yeah. lovey-dovey in public, so they yeah. can't possibly be happy. Well, maybe they are. And, like, you know, Harper One more Ethan, for you. The conspiracy theory online or the thought is that that kid is not Cameron's kid. And that's an illegitimate kid. And it's the trainer's kid. Because, A, she said earlier on in the season, blonde hair, blue eyes was the trainer. And then she shows the photo to Harper and she's like, you're showing me a picture of your kid. She's like, oh, am I? Never mind. And then he is so angry and annoyed and in such disdain when she's like, come say hello to your son. And he's like, oh, while he's flossing. Um, did you read it that way too? So I had this conversation with some friends the other day and I personally am not convinced just by him being upset at flossing and having <laughs> to stop. If I'm in the middle of flossing and I have to stop doing something, I'm going to forget what tooth I'm on. It's going to be hard to go back. And I just think, you know, they've had maybe a rough dinner and he's just a little perturbed with that. I, I, love the mystery around the trainer and the showing of the children and what does that mean does that just mean like does she not really have a trainer it's just the kids that are this thing that she finds happiness from is the trainer actually the father of the children i mean i loved it i i thought that the whole thing was great and i love having that unanswered mystery about the trainer and yes or no with the father last one greg gets all the money so did you watch the thing at the end with, with I, Mike White? I did. Yeah. And so he he has like the little comment of, you know, maybe they'll be able to trace it back to Greg. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Because that's not satisfying. I hate that dude. <laughs> um, but maybe think, that's White Lotus in a nutshell, that that's yeah, how the world yeah. works. Yeah. It's, it's and about I, power. And, you know, Tanya's not a likable character either. I mean, she treats Portia terribly. She treats the, the woman from the first season horribly. There's nothing redeeming and yet you're rooting for her at the end because – you just want it to work, you know? And that's like one of the things about great TV is you change your feelings about people throughout. You're rooting for someone and then you're not. And then you're rooting against everyone. And then like you thought you were rooting for Tanya. And then the phone call she has with Portia. And then you're suddenly like, wait, am I rooting for you again? I know. Now I don't know. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. It, it's uh, 
Greg is a fascinating character with how horrible he is, um, but uh, very well done with everyone on that show. Loved it. And I'm awesome so glad show. we got to share yeah, it. I, I loved it. I loved season one last year. I loved season two. I told you that when I was at McVeigh's house over the bye week, I made him and his wife, Veronica, watch season one. I'm going to let him get through the season. I'm going to make him watch season two. Maybe we'll have him on the podcast to give a full review of White Lotus. But uh Gosh, this is a three-hour podcast, guys. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed it. You got you got plenty of action. We talked everything from uh, Eagles running backs room to Jared Goff to Airline Miles to White Lotus. I dare you to find a more diverse and more dynamic podcast on the NFL uh, feed. I, I want to thank everyone for listening. I'm loving doing this. Aaron, you're great. You're, you're everything. Uh, Jason English here every week. Tremendous from iHeart. The NFL Network, of course, for giving us the platform. NFL Digital. And then uh, our guy Jack Rudd with the music. But on behalf of the crew here, Jamal Singleton, our guest. Taylor Kyle's our guest. Jason Thornberry, our guest. And, of course, Mike White, not the quarterback, but the showrunner, writer, and director of White Lotus. Uh, Till next week, guys. The season with Peter Schrager. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.